if you would, take your Bible and turn to the book of Proverbs. Emmaus, you sound, sound incredible this morning in, in corporate worship, being able to sing together and the, the gift that that is to, to gather together as a church, as a church family in a place like this. I've been reminded this last week of the joy of having partnerships with other churches, just the freedom that comes to know that you're on the same team, that you're working together for the same goal, the building up of the kingdom of God, and it is good to be gathered like this. It's good to be a member of a local church, to pour yourself in to a group of people, knowing that it's not about the building up of that local assembly. It's not about trying to be great or famous or big. It's just saying, God, we give ourselves to you, and however you would use us, in the big picture of all that you're doing, we want to be a part of that. Uh, one of the ways that we're trying to do that well here at Emmaus is to prepare for what God has us doing the next 30 years. He's brought us 30 years up to this point, and we have many years, as many as he would give us in the future, and we're trying to prepare well for that by getting this current building paid off, and we are getting very, very close. If you looked in your bulletin today in that area that shows the financial information, you can see we're down even further. We're down under $130,000 uh, for being paid off on, on this building. This building that's hosted a couple of elementary schools uh, who have met in here. This building that has hosted events and concerts and corporate worship has been used for families who need a place to gather for events, who need a place to gather for funerals and times of remembrance not in any sense worshiping this facility or saying that it's ours, but just wanting to be good stewards of that. And so we have almost gotten this poster board filled in with pictures of ministry over here. One of the ways you can help us is next Sunday, we're calling it Big Give Day, and you might be someone who has been here from day one, or you might be like my family and you've been here less than a year and you really haven't been a part of this whole process. If the Lord would lead you to be able to give sacrificially, to give an extra gift toward the building debt, to be able to get this thing paid off by the end of the year. We're gonna make a special push this year, and not this year, we have made a special push this year, but specifically this week, to be able to fill in a lot more of the pictures on that map and get this building debt paid off. And so, thank you guys. Thank you for what uh, you mean to me and my family. Thank you for what you're doing as a part of this church family. And I couldn't be more excited uh, about being a part of how God's at work in, in our family. If you got one of the bulletins or the worship guides, you can turn it over to the back, and we have some sermon notes that might be of, of use to you as you kind of follow along this morning as we look more at Proverbs chapter one. Our church works off three main words, up, in, out. Up stands for worship. We looked at that the first week of the Proverbs study about what it is to fear the Lord, to worship him, to know that wisdom is about living in right relationship with God. The second is the word in, has to do with our relationships with one another and how the Lord transforms us from the inside out. We looked at that last week as we talked about godly counsel, parents, friends, others that he puts in our lives to build us up inwardly. And then the third word is out. So anything that the Lord does within us, we want it to spill over into how we live our lives. We live out, not for our own good, but for the building up of God's kingdom. And so this week we move to how does missions apply to, uh, or how does wisdom apply to missions? How does it lead us to live out? So that's what we're thinking about this morning. Proverbs chapter one, starting in verse 20, and we're gonna read to end of the chapter. 
Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you, because I have called and you refuse to listen. Have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Verse 33, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Father, we thank you for the gift of corporate worship. We thank you for the gift of your word. And just as Christine said earlier in her testimony, no one showed up needing to hear the opinion of another person. But we have shown up, God, desiring that you would speak to us through your word, by the power of your spirit. And so God, teach us more this morning about what it means to experience salvation and how that salvation should lead us to be on mission at all times. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things we want to do well, but we don't always do particularly well, is when we find ourselves using churchy words or religious words, that we would make sure we explain what we mean by those words. Um, If you ever hear me reference something or say something and you think, that sounded important, but I have no idea what what he just said, Um, unless that encompasses all of my preaching, but that may be the case. But if you hear us use words or terms or phrases and you're like, I really don't know what that means, don't be afraid to ask. Ask those around you, ask the person using those words, because if we're not careful, especially if you've been around church for a while, we'll lapse into using these phrases. God spoke to me, Jesus is in my heart. People come in from the outside, and that sounds strange to them. They don't know, you might be here this morning and you say, I hear religious people say that God spoke to them, or I hear religious people say Jesus is in their heart, and I I just don't know what to make of that. Well, one of the phrases we use in church sometimes is we say that God calls us. God called me to do X. God called me to do this. And if we're not careful, we just use that phrase and we don't think very much about what we mean when we say that God called us. Did God literally, when a little kid hears that, they think, did God pick up the phone and call you? And and what, what does it mean? When God calls us, we're talking about what does it mean to encounter the word of God in the midst of our busy, distracting, often overwhelming lives, but to encounter the word of God in such a way that it demands a response for us, from us. Because if we're not careful, we hear God called, and that only applies to pastors, ministers, missionaries. Those are the only people that are ever called by God. But when you look throughout scripture, what you find is God calls everyone in two ways. 
God calls everyone to salvation. There's a call to salvation, to turn from ourselves, to turn from sin, and to trust in him. There's a call to salvation, and then there's a call to mission, to not waste your life. And we find consistently through scripture, God calls people to salvation, and God calls people to be on mission. And that doesn't mean that you're a paid church person. That doesn't mean that you're a paid missionary who goes overseas. It just means that the work that God does in our life is he gives us his word in such a way that we are drawn to him in salvation and that we're drawn to not waste our lives. And so what I want you to see from Proverbs chapter one this morning, what I want you to hear God speaking to you, even if that seems like strange churchy words, what I want you to hear is that God is calling you to true life through Jesus Christ to salvation and that he's calling you not to waste that life, to live it on mission. I learned this morning a new thing that in Spanish and probably many other languages, there's a verb for mission. We usually use mission as a mission trip or I go on a mission, but to use mission as a verb, to say this defines my life, I'm going to live for God's glory and for the good of others. Now, why would I make a big deal of the word call this morning? The reason is because in this text, Proverbs chapter 1, 20 to 33, the word call is the main defining word throughout these verses. Let me show you at the beginning there how this shows up. Verse 20, it says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. That phrase there about raises her voice or cries out, verse 21, at the head of the noisy street, she cries out. English Standard Version says, at the entrance of the city gate she speaks. That word there is the word for call, to call out for attention. In this busy, distracting, chaotic place, wisdom is calling out for the people's attention. This is like if you're in a busy marketplace or you're in the store with your kids and it's crazy and hectic and chaotic and you hear a kid yell, mom, what happens? Like 30 ladies turn around to say what was going on. Like there's something about that call for a mom that gets somebody's attention. Interesting thing about this word for call or cry out here in Proverbs 1, it's actually related to an Arabic word for the term for Quran. Karah, to call out, is where the term Quran, not meaning that the term Quran came from Proverbs chapter one, but just the idea that those two words are related. It's a call, it's a reading, it's a message that put, that's put out, and it requires a response from the people who hear it. What I want you to see this morning is the call of wisdom and the call of mission shows up four ways in this passage. So there are four kind of notes that guide our time this morning. The first is that the call is divine in its origin. In other words, this call to salvation, this call to have true life and not waste your life, is a call that comes from God. It's not something that any human makes up. No human can compel you to not waste your life. No human can compel you to find true life in Christ. There's something divine. There's something that only God can do in making this happen. Here's the way this shows up in this, in this passage. It shows up through this figure known as wisdom. 
This figure wisdom that shows up all throughout the book of Proverbs, here especially in Proverbs 1 and then later in Proverbs 8 through 9, shows up as a prophet. Wisdom is calling out as a prophet of God, except here's where it gets tricky. Wisdom in these passages shows up as a female figure. Now, Christians, um, especially Southern Baptists, have had a strange, ongoing, sometimes awkward relationship with ideas of gender. And, and how do we understand gender and relation to God? And so you have a passage like this where an attribute of God, specifically lady wisdom that shows up in Proverbs 1, Proverbs 3, Proverbs 8, Proverbs 9. What do we do with this idea of, of this female attribute? Well, remember that God, in essence, We learn this in John chapter four. We see this throughout scripture. God, in essence, transcends gender, supersedes gender. When when God creates, God creates in his own image and he creates male and female. So when we think of God, in essence, we're not thinking of male or female. We're thinking of the one true God. And yet God purposefully and rightly, for a good purpose, revealed himself oftentimes in masculine terms. So he reveals himself as father. There are many different references to God as he in scripture. Jesus shows up as a real person, a real human. He shows up as a male, as a man. Except at times, that's been completely been misused by men. It's been used for power reasons. It's been used in very inappropriate ways. Missing out on the good plan of God to reveal himself to us rightly there as male, but don't miss this. Oftentimes, when God reveals himself in scripture, he also reveals himself with female attributes. So God in scripture can be the mother who comforts his children. Sounds strange to say it that way, the mother who comforts his children, but God knew that if he revealed in scripture that he was the father who comforts his children, everybody would say, well, that's not very comforting. I don't get anything out of that. Like, it's good that a mother knows how to comfort children. Or God will reveal himself in the Old Testament as the midwife who cares for the newborn, that knows how to raise that child. And so you get references to God revealing himself both as male but also as female, recognizing that God is neither male nor female in very essence. So what does that have to do with this? What's going on here with this idea of lady wisdom? Well, did you know in most languages, and this will come as no surprise to anybody who knows other languages, most words, most nouns, are either male or female or neuter. They carry neither male nor female. Wisdom is a female, not female, that's not the right way to say it, is a feminine noun a reference that in and of itself carries this, this feminine idea. And so it was used with feminine adjectives and feminine articles. It was just the way that this word functioned. And so as God reveals one of his attributes here, he purposefully reveals it through lady wisdom, that we see in wisdom this attribute, this good gift of God. And so anytime that lady wisdom speaks in Proverbs, speaks as this prophet, we find this reference to a a female, a feminine attribute of God. Once again, not getting confused here, not saying that God is female, because that heresy's been out there before, but saying that in God's goodness, wisdom is given as an attribute of God. Then you move to the second point. So not only there do we find this reference, 
But in the chapter eight of Proverbs, if you turn over to chapter eight, you see Lady Wisdom show up in a very particular way. If you're in your phone, scroll down just for a moment in your phone to Proverbs chapter eight, because I wanna show you another reference to Lady Wisdom that really complicates things. In Proverbs chapter eight, you get this long speech, this long reference to Lady Wisdom. And in verse 22, chapter eight, it says, the Lord possessed me, is one translation of that. You'll see it show up in different ways. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old, Ages ago I was set up, at the first before the beginning of the earth. Now this passage, this reference, and all throughout Proverbs chapter eight, you'll see other references to Lady Wisdom existing before creation. With these references, throughout time, as people were making a connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, they saw in Lady Wisdom an anticipation, a prediction even, of the coming of the Messiah. Where this got tricky was, in verse 22, it says that wisdom was the first of his acts of old, the first of God's acts. What that got turned into is in the early church, you had different people who were arguing that Jesus was a created being, that Jesus, as God's son, had not existed for all of eternity, but at some time in, in eternity past, that, that Jesus, as God's son, was a created being because it says here that wisdom was one of his first acts of old. Well, the problem is, what is seen in Proverbs 8 as an attribute of God, an understanding of his character, got transferred over to describe who God is in his essence as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so these categories got crossed and people began to argue that Jesus as God's Son was a created being. In all reality, when you look at Scripture, God has existed in all eternity for all time as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The reason I tell you this is you could have a situation in your life where someone shows up at your door and we're not making fun of or disrespecting anyone who goes around to someone's door and gives a religious message. So hear me, not, not doing that. But there are groups of people who will show up at your door, knock on your door, want to tell you about Jesus, give you religious material, and they'll argue that Jesus was a created being. And one of the first places they'll go when they make that presentation to you, they'll go to Proverbs chapter 8. So I'm not, I'm not, we're not doing this this morning just because, hey, it'd be fun to make this connection with Proverbs 8. I'm doing it because there's a good chance sometime in your life you're going to have somebody knock on your front door, want to give you a religious presentation, and they're going to argue that Jesus is not God, that he has not existed for all of time, and Proverbs 8 is one of the main places uh, they're going to go. At that point, you just say, hey, did you know that certain nouns can sometimes be male, they can sometimes be feminine? This is an attribute of God. It's not talking about God in, its, in his essence. And then either they're gonna have a really good response and you're gonna get into a long debate or they're just gonna close the door and go to the next house. So it, this is the idea though. When we talk about wisdom, when we talk about wisdom in scripture, we're talking about something that is divine in its origin. It comes from God. We can't get it just from another person. Here's the second thing we know about wisdom. The second thing we know about wisdom is that it's global in its scope. Look back at chapter one, which I've gotta turn back there for a second. 
Back to chapter one, verse 20. So we know that wisdom only comes from God. We've got that solidified there. It also says that wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. What you see when Lady Wisdom speaks here, when God reveals this message of salvation, this message not to waste your life, it's a message that's designed to be public. It's designed to go out to all people. There was this uh, strain of thought uh, throughout church history that was identified as a heresy along the way, but it's this strange word called Gnosticism. Don't even worry about writing down the word Gnosticism unless that's appealing to you. But Gnosticism was the idea of private secret wisdom. So to really get the wisdom of God, to really understand God, you had to be a part of this private group that had this secret knowledge that only a few people got to receive. The danger of that, don't miss this, the danger of that is that's how a lot of people see church. That's a lot, how a lot of people see our gathering this morning. Well, you know what? If I was interested in that and I was a religious person and I wanted to go gather in there with those few people who claim that they're the only ones who have the truth, then I would do that, but that's not what I'm gonna do. The danger is missing that wisdom, that God's message of life all along was designed to be public. All along it was designed to be global. All along, wisdom was designed for the masses, designed for everybody to hear, everybody to receive. If you ever think to yourself, man, if I was just a little bit smarter, or if I just had a little bit more time to give to this, or I had X, then I could really receive the wisdom of God, cut that idea out. Because what you find over and over and over in scripture is God's wisdom, his offer of life is given to all people. The reason that markets and streets and city gates are referenced here, why do those show up in verses 20 and 21? The reason they show up here is because these are the same locations later in Proverbs that you will find the prostitute hanging out, trying to seduce the people away. It's the place that you'll find Lady Folly, who is Lady Wisdom's uh, antagonist. The, there's this battle that goes throughout the book of Proverbs that's greater than any movie you could ever watch. It's the battle between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. Uh, kids, if you enjoy drawing cartoon characters, you guys could draw Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly getting into this battle. But that's what happens throughout the book of Proverbs. And Lady Folly, that's trying to lead the people away from God, Lady Folly hangs out where? She hangs out in the markets, the streets and at the city gates trying to draw people away. So where's Lady Wisdom going to go? She's going to the same place. She's saying, I'm gonna go exactly to where people are gonna be drawn away. I'm gonna go to the people where they are. They don't have to come and find me. What does that have to do with salvation? What does that have to do with missions? What well, has everything to do with those? God, in his goodness, has brought the hope of salvation to us. He came to us, we did not have to go to him and find some sort of secret wisdom. The way to life is not found in you finding your way to God to find some special wisdom. The way to know life is to understand that God has come to us 
through Jesus Christ to make the hope of salvation known so that when we talk about living on mission, we want to do the same thing for others. We want to go where people are, meeting them on their own turf, so to speak, going to the streets, to the markets, to the city gates, because the message of wisdom, the message of life is always meant to be public. It's always meant to be global. But then you get to the hard part, number three. The content is always urgent. And I think I probably reversed that from what's on your notes. The call is urgent in its content. So wisdom is from God, it's for everyone, and it's urgent with its message. Look in verse 23 now. Or actually verse 22. I skipped it for you. Verse 22. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. Okay, let's stop there for a second. What we find really quickly here in this message of Proverbs 1 is that this call to life, lady wisdom standing up in the markets and say, hey, pay attention, here's the way to life. The reason she's doing that is because what she has to say is life and death urgent. It has to be paid attention to. She's not calling out in the market saying, hey, buy my product because it will make you a better person, or hey, choose chocolate ice cream instead of vanilla ice cream. It's not that type of message. She's calling out saying, if you want to know life, turn to me because I'm speaking for God. But if you do not pay attention to what I'm saying, if you do not turn to me, you're gonna find destruction. But then you get in verses 25 especially, and 26, some really harsh language. You've ignored my counsel. You'd have none of my reproof. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. Those are some of those verses in the Bible that sometimes you just wish weren't there. You could just kind of skip over and pretend they didn't exist, but that's not helpful to anybody, and we don't, we don't want to treat the Bible that way. So what's going on in those verses? Two things are going on in those verses that will kind of help make, make sense of it. First, in poetic language, like Proverbs is given, phrases like this are meant to contrast with something that came before. So remember that one of the things we've seen already and that we'll see later in Proverbs is there are a group of people who are laughing at the ways of God, who are mocking God, who are scoffing at God's ways. So we've already seen what it is for someone to do that toward God. And so what's happening with Lady Wisdom, with God's prophet here, is that language is being turned back around against these people. So you laughed at God, you mocked God, you're actually gonna find that you're the ones who are being laughed at. You're the ones who are being scoffed. That phrase about who gets the last laugh kind of comes in to, to play here. So that's part of what's going on. Except at our core, at least for me, maybe you're not struggling with this, but at least for me, I still trip over the idea of God laughing. 
at someone or this idea of someone being mocked. What's, what's going on there? Well, you actually find the same language, if you want to make a reference to it, you find the same language in Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 is a, is a psalm that was often used as a prediction for the coming of the Messiah. It was a psalm that was used for when the new king was enthroned. And in Psalm chapter two, you find this exact same language about God laughing against the people. And God's laughter at that point is it's laughter because people failed to recognize his power. And they failed to recognize his goodness. And what we know about God is that God is merciful, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in love, and so the laughter here is not a laughter where he doesn't care about the people, it's a laughter in which he throws up his hands and says, if you're not gonna acknowledge my power, if you're not going to acknowledge my goodness, where else are you gonna turn to find those? throws up his hands and says, says, where else are you gonna turn? And you see that show up in the next verse, in verse 27. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. Lady Wisdom is giving a warning in the form of the prophets saying, if you do not turn now, if you do not turn to the Lord for salvation, if you do not turn to the Lord to find life, there's going to come a time when it's too late to do that. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to find life. I mean, for crying out loud, the Cubs are going to the World Series. Like if you've ever waited for a moment to give your life to the Lord, if you said, I would turn to the Lord when the Cubs go to the World Series, today is your day. Salvation is available. And I don't say that to make light of the warning. Because the warning is dire. Lady Wisdom is calling out saying, I'm not asking you to fix, pick your favorite ice cream. I'm not asking you to buy my product. I'm not asking you to be a part of our institution. I'm calling you to life. I'm calling you to salvation. I'm calling you to freedom. I'm calling you to joy. I'm calling you to hope. I'm calling you to victory. Turn to me and find life. But if you don't, you're gonna find destruction and you're gonna find death, and you're gonna find separation from God. And it's a difficult warning, it's a difficult message, it's an urgent message. And it's the same message that drives us to be on mission. It drives us to live our lives in such a way that we want all people to turn and to find life and to find hope because it only comes from God, it's available to all people and it's an urgent message that requires our response. But thankfully it doesn't end there. There's one final verse in Proverbs chapter one. So it doesn't end with bad news, it ends with good news. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure 
and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is the idea that number four, the call is hopeful in its goal. Just like all the good prophets of the Old Testament, Lady Wisdom says there's bad news, but don't worry, there's good news as well. We're pointing to something else. To see this really clearly, you've got to turn over to chapter eight again. Turn over to Proverbs chapter eight. We're going to turn two more places in scripture, and then we're going to wrap up with these two places that we're turning. I want to show you two places in scripture where this hopeful message from Lady Wisdom shows up really clearly. The first is back in chapter eight. And we're gonna start down a little bit further in chapter eight, I think around verse 32. So what we're trying to focus on here is if this message is so urgent that you find life only through this wisdom that comes from God, where's the hope, where's the good news? Chapter eight, Verse 32, and now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. If you're a Bible underliner or highlighter, Chapter eight, verse 35 is a great one. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And just in case we forgot the urgency of the message, verse 36 comes along and says, he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So we know that wisdom brings life. But how is this really put into action? You've got to go to the New Testament part of your Bible to see that. Go to the New Testament, the first book in the New Testament, Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. The passage we're going to look at actually shows up in the book of Matthew and also the third book of the New Testament, which is called Luke. Those first three books that show up in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have a lot of the same stories told with similar language. Uh, they're they're kind of read together. But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 12. What I want to show you is why we have hope. If there's a message from God, it's for every person, and it's extremely urgent, it would be nice to know where that hope comes from. And Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, gives us the answer. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Some of the scribes and Pharisees, so some of the religious people that used a lot of churchy language, answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. If you use that Gospel Project Sunday school curriculum, your Sunday school class comes full circle now with the sermon. No sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they, speaking of the men of Nineveh, they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
So in other words, if the people of Nineveh heard that message and they responded to Jonah, how much more should you respond to Jesus Christ? Then verse 42, the queen of the south, uh, sometimes known as the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold something greater than Solomon is here. So the people of the Old Testament, don't miss the connections here. The people of Nineveh, they heard the preaching of the prophet Jonah. This queen from the south came and she heard the wisdom of Solomon. And the Ninevites and the queen, they turned to the Lord. They repented and found life. And now Jesus Christ has shown up on the scene and these religious leaders refuse to repent. They refuse to turn to him and find life. And Jesus says, you know, Solomon, he was a great builder, but I created all things. And Solomon, he was a great peacemaker, but, but I'm the prince of peace. And Solomon, you know what, he was really wise, but I'm the perfect teacher. And don't forget that Solomon had a bunch of wives, but I'm faithful to my one true bride. And then Jonah, remember Jonah, Jonah went and preached to the people. Jesus went and preached to the people. Jonah was in the belly of the well. Jesus was in the belly of the earth. Jonah was spit out of the fish. Jesus was raised up from the dead. Jonah went and kind of moped underneath a plant. Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the Father. Jesus says, you repented because of Jonah and Solomon? Something greater than Jonah and Solomon is here. The hope of life is found through Jesus Christ. That's the message of salvation, and he is the one who drives us to be on mission, to make sure we don't waste our lives. So here's the reality. Here's the summary, and I think I put the summary on your notes. The call to a wise life is from God for all people right now in Christ. God is calling you to himself. He is calling you to salvation. And if you've experienced that salvation, he is calling us to live on mission. And that call to live on mission comes from God. It's for all of his people. It's for right now and it happens in Christ. So how do we do that? Number one, have I experienced the hope for life that comes through Jesus Christ? This morning, the content of the message is urgent. We realize we have not gathered together to check off a religious box. We haven't gathered together to make us feel better. We've gathered together because there is life and there is death, and life is found in Jesus Christ. Have you placed your hope in him? If not, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to repent and turn to him and find life. And if you've done that, are you committed to a church that's driven by God's word to go and serve? And that's not a passive-aggressive way to say you should commit to Emmaus. That's just saying, have you committed to a church that's driven by the word of God to go and serve people, to live on mission? Then think about this next question. Do I consider any person 
or any people outside of God's scope. Remember that one thing we saw this morning is that the message of wisdom is global. It's public. It's for all people. But if we're not careful, we become like Jonah and say, hey, that's a good message, but it's not for the Ninevites. Or, in our own lives, that's a good message, but it's not for fill in the blank. Who do we place outside the scope of God's message? Not, not meaning to, but maybe subconsciously we say, you know what, it's a good message, but I don't think person X would ever turn. I don't think person X would ever hear this message. Number four, am I committed to being a person of Christ-like hope to those around me? Where I live, where I learn, where I work, where I play. Wherever you work, wherever God places you, wherever God places your family, as Christine said earlier in her testimony, that is not an accident. Students, God has placed you at your school for a purpose. It's not an accident that you're there. Adults, as God moves you around to different places, as he puts you in different jobs, in different locations, as you come to the times of retirement and say, where do I give my life? Be a person of hope. Be a person who says, there is a way to experience life. There is a way to not waste your life, and it's found through Jesus Christ. And then the last question, where is God calling me to engage in missions beyond my current situation in life? So if we are to live on mission, if we've experienced God's work in our life and he sends us out, where is he sending you? Take your bulletin really quickly and open it up to that inside First page, if you have a bulletin. Obviously, this doesn't work well if you don't have one. But if you open it up to the inside first page, under announcements, it'd be great if you signed up for the weekly fellowship meal. You're more than welcome to come and hang out with us on Wednesday nights. We're talking about how to share our faith with people of other religions. If you've ever wondered, how do I share the gospel with someone who's a Muslim? That's what we're talking about this Wednesday night. How do we share our faith with someone who comes from a different, uh, a different worldview, a different world religion? If you're looking for a place to be on mission, there are five opportunities listed on the page right here of how you can do that. Even better, you could say, Owen, I would love to do all five of those. I am so loaded down with work. We have so many activities going on in our family guess what? You just told me what you're doing to be on mission. It's where you work. It's where those activities take you. We've experienced the joy of God's salvation in our lives, and now he says the wise thing to do is to live that out, to be a person, to be a family, to be a church that is on mission. Let's pray together right now. Father, thank you that as we experience the hope of salvation, that we know what it is to hear the call of wisdom in the midst of all the distractions and the busyness of life, to hear the call of salvation and to turn to you, to put all of our hope in you, that we would also know what it is not to waste that life, that you have blessed us, that you have given us life so that we are able to serve others for your glory. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who has been putting off what it means to repent and to give their lives to Jesus Christ, 
that in the simplest way possible that they would just turn to you this morning and trust in you for salvation, for life. And for those who are here who have big life decisions to make, decisions about what activities their family should be involved in, where they should live, where they should work, what happens now in new stages of life at retirement, God, help them to think of those things through this filter of mission. What is it that you work in our lives in such a way that you send us out to be a people of hope in the world? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.